Hello, my name is Eagle, and I'd like to welcome you all to the first episode of Stable Geniuses. I will be your host for this podcast, in which we'll be taking a behind-the-scenes look at all the hard work that goes into putting on BronyCon each year. Each episode of the podcast will feature guests from our various staff departments talking about what they do for the convention. From establishing the con's overall budget to negotiating contracts with our VIP guest. So, with all that said, let's get started, shall we? So, our first guest on the cast is the one, the only, our newest BronyCon chairperson, Eric Houston. Say hi to the ponies, Eric. Hello, everyone. Now, uh, I'm given to understand that uh, your handle uh, is Chibby Shibby. Yes, that is correct. Um, my name is Eric Houston. I go by Chibi Shibi, uh, through staff, and that's my handle. Excellent. So, how'd you start out? How long have you been with BronyCon? Well, my official sign-on date for BronyCon was April 4th, 2017. 4.04. No date found. <laughs> In all seriousness, I came on during the mid-pre-con phase of BronyCon 2017. Alrighty then, so if you don't mind me asking, how'd you get started staffing for BronyCon? Well, I was going through a little bit of a rough patch in 2017, and one of my friends who was staff who had been staffing BronyCon since like 2014, 20, uh, 2012, 2013, 2014, approached me and said, Hey, uh, Chibi, Eric, why don't you volunteer for BronyCon? I, I've come from a little bit of background for volunteering in non-convention aspects, so I said sure, and I threw my name in. And then from in 2017, I had become, I was going to be the room manager for Hall of the Moon in 2017. And as I worked pre-con, I got promoted to the logistics deputy manager of the events department. And then two weeks before the con come, or came in in 2017, uh, Archo needed a little bit of help. So I stepped in and became a dual department manager for... The art show. So, art show manager 2017 and then the logistics deputy, I was one of the first, if not only, dual department managers in BronyCon. Then, rolling around in 2018, I retained my art show manager title and then got promoted in the events department for uh, upwards to getting uh, communication manager in 2018. And then I started doing staff morale things like the staff newspaper. Uh, doing fun little things for the staff to help keep morale and pro uh, progress up. Uh, I did logistics for the 2018 uh, Thursday stuff with setting up the convention and also things with the BronyCon, uh, the staff after party as well. Dead dog, right. So uh, what's one fun story you've got from your time with the convention? Well, there's a lot of, um, a lot of humorous stories that I acquire over the past two years there's pre-con stories and then there's at con stories so i could sit here and chew your ear off for about an hour about them but i'll take one out in particular something that happened uh during the convention cycle rather than at con so we have everyone in the events department talking in a managerial chat now on our chat application we have a bot that can generate gifts based on phrases uh that you enter now, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're all safe for work, but there's always that 0.1% that will filter through once in a blue moon. So in the middle of this managerial chatter, one of the managers uh, types in uh, Sombra. 
because Sombra had just been released in Overwatch and also with MLP Sombra. And smack dab in the middle of the managerial chat, this bot responds with a not safe for work gif. So we, when a bot posts something like that, we do not have the permissions to remove a bot's post. So we have to bring in one of the admins for the chat application. So we get that admin in there and he walks in and he's like, hey guys, what's up? Oh, oh. We start dying of laughter. We have yet to let that manager who triggered that bot gif, we have let to le let him live it down because of how the admin had to walk into our group to delete that post. Hello, fair citizens. What's happening in this? Oh, my. Oh, my. Exactly. Thanks for that, Eric. Uh, so, on to talking a bit more about what you do as the chair of the convention. And now, as one of the chairs, I suppose you have a bit more of a Olympian view of how things run, or a view from on high of how the con runs. Is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, half and half. You could say it's an Olympian view where we have a wide scope view of what's going on and what's going to happen. It could also be akin to those who are manning the helm of a ship, and we're steering the course of how things can go, just with all the information that we're able to see behind us. Alright, so let's jump right in and talk about a few things that the chairs do, like selecting department heads. Now, normally with the during changeover between a con, we're looking at post one con, let's say uh, post-2017 and post-2018, we usually have prominent staffers get interviewed by the chairs based on their willingness to become a department head. And we go through and we give them a mock interview of how what their plans are for the department, what their goals and aspirations, how would they change things or keep things the same. And then we make a informed decision based on how each candidate performs on who becomes the department head. Now going into the 2019 year, we decided to retain with we're, we were planning on foregoing that process and retained a majority of our department heads. We're looking for our final year to hit the ground running to give as much creative boost as we can to propel ourselves forward to put on the best year we can. So keeping the department heads who have uh, who worked this past year to gain the momentum to build the foundation to keep themselves going rather than bringing in someone who is new, who might have growing pains. We didn't want to jeopardize putting on the best show we can for that. Right, of course. Uh, stick with experience and what you know, rather than the potential problems of trying extremely new things. Absolutely. All right. So, any major issues that may come up that you can talk about? Well, there's a lot of... There's a lot of facets that could lead to roadblocks. Uh, you're going to hear from Josh and Troy in regards to, uh, let's say, Troy with finances and then Josh with the negotiations with the BCC and the venue and how those could potentially create roadblocks. Now, there's also foundational work with his websites and registration and getting the sponsorship badges and getting the events, getting the contracts with IATSE and just all these things that need to be created that could potentially become roadblocks. 
But however, overall, I would like to say that one major roadblock that we face for 2019 is living up to the best year ever that we've set forth, that we've um, committed to the community and all the logistic works that we need to be put into that and how we're going to achieve that. However, with, through timelines and plannings, I don't see any major obstacles that would prevent us from doing that. All right, that's very good. Thank you, Eric. So speaking of timelines, let's talk a little about those, the importance of developing and using them properly, shall we? Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to preface this with a quote from one of my old high school teachers. People don't plan to fail, they simply fail to plan. And timelines, by extension, help us organize our thoughts on how to approach a situation and envision a goal. We've gone into the habit over the past couple of years where we can approach a department and ask for a timeline about how they plan to orchestrate their goals throughout the year, stick by them, and get their department from start to finish to con launch. So you would see things like, okay, I'm going to use an example from the art show. Use around February, we wanted to get the submissions open. So at that point, the community can start submitting their artwork for the art show. And then with that, we could open up hiring. Now hiring, now we have staff to be able to get the artwork judged and then communications and planning uh, going out on how we're going to showcase these pieces. The same could be said on an actual convention level where we want to get the website up by this time so we can get the sponsorship badges launched at this time so you can get events and PR blasting and being able to sell badges. Now, and also content. You want to be able to give announcements with like VIPs and community guests uh, uh, along with our BP musicians. Now... Alongside that, what we would do is say, okay, well, if you're a department, we want to get a month-by-month -month breakdown of what you're planning on doing. Now, it isn't, doesn't need to be set in stone. It's highly flexible. You can't expect everything to go A-OK. -okay. However, when you start getting all departments with all their timelines, you can then start syncing up. And so you don't need to ha run into the issue with one department can't get something done because this department planned for it two months down the road. You could provide a little bit of oversight for that. So, yeah, timelines help immensely. Especially when organizing various large groups of people to cooperate together. Oh, yeah. Okay, thanks, Eric. So, speaking of communication, how do meetings with your department heads usually run? How do you all have those set up and work them out? Meetings are pretty straightforward. What we normally start off with is getting all the department heads and the chairs together and putting out something like a when to meet. When to Meet is a great application that allows you just to sign in, list your availability, and then the, it shows everyone else's. So there we can uh, corrugate a great time and then throw it into a Google Calendar with all those people invited, set a conferencing, and boom, we now have a video call at a certain time to conduct the meeting. Then we put out meeting, uh, meeting note structure and ask them to provide what they've done like over the last two weeks, what they plan to do over the next two weeks, and then continue on forward with that. Now, in order for transparency to cycle th across the board, what we did for 2018 was streamed our entire meeting to our staff. And from there, we were able to disseminate the information at a conwide level. 
So what we're planning on doing for 2019 is to take this one step further and do an all-hands all meeting. An all-hands meeting would be the chairs turning around and conducting a stream or something to all the staff where we talk about how, where the convention is, what the overarching is, overarching progress is, what we plan to do with it, and then continue what we're planning on ideas and um, just going on was what's with going what's going on with the convention sorry i had to trip over my words there for a second but yeah just all uh, all hands meeting all right so sounds like of course it's probably redundant to say but quite a lot of work gets put into the con by you and the other chairs i would say so i would say so so that being said i i'm i have to ask you and you enjoy staffing doing all this for the convention absolutely for the past two years it's been a whirlwind of fun and community building outside of my normal mundane life working a full-time job i absolutely love the atmosphere that this convention brings to my life and also the community to the point where i would not change the last two years of working within bronicon for the world thanks so much for your time chibi so, that concludes our first segment with the convention chair, the beloved Chibi Shibby. Next up is Money Matters with Rich Uncle Troy. Say hi to the ponies, Troy. Hi to the ponies. So, what do you do for the convention? So, do a double job of that I am a the finance manager of BernieCon, but I also am the treasurer on Lutherstillis Corporation. I see. And just how did you get started staffing for BronyCon? What's what been your experience? So, I actually started directly after June 2012, where BronyCon was actually in the Meadowlands. The person in charge of finance at the time called me up after the convention and said, Hey, I needed an assistant for this, and I would like I can't think of anybody else based on you. From there... Uh, I had to 2013 with scary expectations, understanding a new place and a new time. Of uh, This is the first time I've actually done something of this nature. To moving to 2014, where I'm a little bit more comfortable in my situation and where I can actually have a little say-so. Uh, at the end of 2014, that current head of finance stepped down due to Life Matters. If he would give me assistance moving forward for this, uh, where 2015, I was put as the head of finance. And also in the middle of that year, I was also put on the head, the treasurer of Luna Solis Corporation. And then from 2015 and 2016 and 2017, I ran finance throughout the entire life cycle of it, through its hard times of me not having a deputy to having an amazing deputy. 2017, I stepped down to let somebody else run the show. Not 2017, 2018, where I let somebody else run the show. And due to the announcement of the end of BernieCon next year, I took my place as the head of finance for the final year. Wow, so you've really been around the con for a while, haven't you? Yeah, I'm one of the older veterans. Very interesting. Okay, so first question, since you're, you know, head of finance and everything, uh, what is a budget in terms of the convention? 
So a budget of the convention is the amount of money that is going to be allotted to the convention to spend on that has been allotted through the parent organization for that. Um, from there, we determine what m money goes to each uh, department. Yep, each department. Okay. All right. Uh, and just how are the budgets developed? Both at the level of going down from the parent corporation, in this case, Lunar Solus Corps, to BronyCon, the convention, and then at that level from spreading out departmental budgets. So, starting with the corporation, the corporation will look to see, ask the event to say, hey, what is your projected numbers for this year coming through? And with that information that the event tells the corporation, they're going to look at previous years as well and determine a good overall guess of the best sustainable risk that the corporation could take and hand to say, hey, you're going to get X dollars and you're going to do Y with those X dollars with that. Um, because corporation does have its own expenses to go through seeing that we do hold a lot of utilities for the event to actually run from there this is where the event would actually receive that budget and then it would be my task to actually take that budget and start splitting it into each department from there i will also look back to previous years to see what departments went under, what departments went over, what departments been steady. And there have been a number of departments that are very steadily throughout the entire years. And I'll go to them first and say, hey, you were pretty hit on the margin whatnot. Is there a way that we can better use that budget? Um, make your buddy money, yeah, make your money more efficient with that. If the answer is no, then I generally keep the same budget. Uh, if the answer is yes, we determine to see where you can actually have that room. Where is the apartment I go under? It says, why didn't you, where did this money not be spent from? And is this something that you wanted to do that you didn't do? Or is it just that you found more efficient ways on its own? And can I move that money to another apartment? To where a department that would be over budget... I go, was there unexpected things that you did? Or did something cost extra? Because we need to work it out to not do this again. Um, to make sure that I'm giving you the proper amount of money for this. And from there, it's just the balancing act throughout the entire 13 departments that we actually have throughout it the corporation, the uh, convention. Right. And so, which leads me into my next question. Uh, what does it mean to balance the books? What does that entail? Well, balancing the books. So, as a convention standard, what balance of books actually dictates is I would have to go through through all of our venues of accepting all of our money and there are a good number one from attendee sales to vendor sales, con store sales, table trades, 
charity auction, the, the I can keep on going on with the list. And I have to find out on how much money we actually came through that actually hit the bank account for Lunar Solace determine how much money that this convention make this year. To the other hand, I need to see on how much the event cost this year. Um, from venue to AV, AV equipment to holding our uh, storage and whatnot. And I have to see, even even actually, I said it's charity auction, I said intake, I also, we have to pay that, we have to pay the, um, the person that we're donating to, to those, so that's another thing that has to come out throughout the entire convention, and with that in hand, I have to make sure that, okay, did we make money this year, did BurningCon make money this year, or did BurningCon lose money this year, um, and I have to report those information towards Luna Solus. And where Luna Solus also has to do its own stuff like that. Book balancing. Book and balancing, in which they don't have a lot of intake. They have a lot of uh, expenditures to actually keep some of the utilities of what BurningCon is using to continue for that. Very interesting. So uh, that leads me to another question. In the years that you've been the head of finance and staffed the convention, has the BronyCon ever come in upside down and spent more than it's made? No, BronyCon has actually never went upside down for the, than it's made before. Ever since I was running for the four years that I was the head of finance. That's quite impressive. Uh, so, all that being said, you know, you've talked about all this, I have to ask, I'm curious, do you enjoy what you do for the convention? It's a hard question to ask, because, especially what's coming up very soon, it's where I generally go very much tear my hair out, because I gotta go out through all of our expenditures, because we have... There is a number of money intake programs that I have to go out and see on how much money did it make and how much money did that thing cost us and how much. And now what I mean by that, I'm talking like our sales programs because they have their own service fees that pay for is like how much money was actually intake and then they took out X dollars and how much money did this one take out in X dollars. And I have to go in a bank and determine what this ominous the uh, transaction was for and the, what department it went under. And it takes a good month process to actually get all the information to do. Um, which really makes me want to pull up my hair sometimes. But at the end of the actual convention, when things are falling into place and things are moving along, at the when we actually get to that week of Bronicon, it's like, Okay, we did it, we're here, and I get to see all my friends again, all the people that I worked through throughout the year. I get to see their labor of what I allowed them to do with the money that I was giving them. To see this whole conglomerate mess of nothing that I just gave them numbers to make this event happen to where the end of the day... Of, I could see the attendee enjoy themselves. 
just just for the uh three days that four days that we're here. So it's painstakingly hard work. But at the end of the day, it's definitely something I can walk away proud of every time I do it. So yes, it is definitely worth it. And in the end, something you overall enjoy. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Troy. You've been very informative. Uh, we'll see you around. Thank you very much. So that was our rich Uncle Troy, head of finance for BronyCon. And next up, our final guest for our first podcast is the one and only Josh Dean. Say hi to the ponies, Josh. Hey there. Thank you for having me on whatever you're deciding to call this podcast. Thank you for being on with us. Uh, so what do you do for the con? Well, uh, these days I am currently the president of Lunar Solace, which is the company that owns BronyCon. But for BronyCon themselves, I... Uh, boy, you know it's really awkward when you forget exactly what you do for an event. Um, I do venue and hotels uh, for BronyCon. Which must be... A, it's own mess and a half handling well well well, it's it's funny i've been doing it for geez i've been doing it for four to five years at this point because i was doing it all the way back when i was uh chair for BronyCon as well uh it just so happened that um after i stepped down in 2016 i took on doing uh that role as a full-time position a man of many hats then impressive so you're the president of Lunar Solace, and you handle venues and hotels for the con itself. Mm -hmm. um, and how long have you been with the convention? Uh, I've been with the convention since 2013. Uh, I started out as our as BronyCon's website developer because in 2012, after I went to the convention for the first time. I decided I was going to email the convention and say, hey, your website looks like crap. Uh, you should let me fix that. And in my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to fix their website, get a couple of free badges, go with my girlfriend at the time, and have fun. Oh, little did I know, here I am so many years later. Every time you think you're out, they just pull you right back in. Ain't that the way? I mean, but act but actually, though, kind of, Yeah. Uh, that's exactly how that goes. Uh, so, having been around for a while, uh, what's one good story you've got from your time with BronyCon? Man, I have I have a lot of good stories. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this because you uh, you asked me about this uh, before we got on, on the podcast. But uh, I honestly think that probably one of my favorite stories is one that routinely kept on happening. Um, so as most people know or don't know, whatever, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the people listening are, uh, but I have a t-shirt cannon. I have had one for some years that I would, uh, that I would bring out on stage during our opening and closing ceremonies. And, uh, typically during closing ceremonies, I would let, uh, my event management, uh, pop off a few shots. Uh, and, Every single person, I would say, okay, here you go, don't hit the lights. And about almost everybody 
uh, will never hit the lights. But there's one person in particular, and I'm not going to call them out because they know who they are. But every time I tell them, don't hit the lights, without fail, they hit one of the bucket lights. And every time I know it's coming, and every time I just can't help but go, ooh, even though I know it is coming. And I just have a huge grin on my face. Well, I mean... At some level, you probably enjoy seeing it hit the lights. Otherwise, I think you probably would have stopped giving the person the cannon at this point. I mean, don't don't tell our AV providers that, uh, or anybody else, except I guess everybody who's listening to this podcast. They can shh, don't tell people. All right. Well, at this point, Sheer is probably rolling his eyes somewhere, thinking at us to get on with the show. So let's talk about what our little outline here says: the hotels and venues. Uh, well, let's start out with, a, I think, a question that our info e- at email gets flooded with just about every year, and that's room blocks for the hotels. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing the question is basically when are hotels going to open? Pretty much, yes. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of the person who tells the hotels to flip the switches. Uh, but, uh, we were, we usually hold off on doing that until, uh, we make sure we get everything kind of secure. We get, we corral up all of the, uh, URLs that we can get on bronycon.org. And we kind of just like make, try to make sure that our blocks are in ship shop shape. So, uh, that people can go and, you know, book their rooms with minimal hassle, uh, that doesn't always work out to the way we want to. Sometimes we end up in situations where uh, sometimes a hotel looks like it is out of rooms, but really what happens is they're out of rooms for one particular night for some reason. Um, and so uh, you might not be able to book through the website so easily. Um, stuff like that's really difficult for us to uh, to get past, but... I mean, I guess in term, we try to get the block up around November, December-ish. I think the latest we've ever gotten it up was January. Um, as for when we'll get it up this year, I mean, I, I can't tell you that because, you know, then you'd know, you would know well too far in advance. I'm not even sure yet when we're going to open it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that burning question being answered so how how do you go about setting up these room blocks with the hotels how does that process work so i mean there there's one of two different types of contracts that most events usually kind of uh get set up uh the easiest of the two is kind of the courtesy block uh these are uh hotels that um, are in the vicinity of where your event is that might not be like your major big hotels um, that would want to get business um, because your event will be advertising um, their room blocks. Um, and uh, it's a, you'll, you'll get a smaller block uh, for attendees to use, uh, perhaps if they have like, they're part of a loyalty program with that hotel or if they just have, like, in general, loyalty, like, some people really love Holiday Inns, and maybe they want to stay at a Holiday Inn, even though it's a couple of blocks away. 
Um, so those end up being very a lot easier. There's basically very little traction um, or not traction. There's very little friction uh, in getting these because you're you you don't have to worry about things like attrition. You're not worrying about uh, meeting space, and you don't have to worry about things like food and beverage fees and all that kind of stuff. Really easy. Typically, no cancellation fees or very minimal cancellation fees. Now, uh, the hotels where you tend to have your event or that are near where your event is going to be, your kind of like major hotels, those end up being a little bit more tricky. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are that need to be taken into consideration. Uh, meeting space that you might need in the convent in the hotel uh if you're a hotel based convention your entire convention will probably take place within that hotel so you will probably end up negotiating for a lot of meeting space uh sometimes ballrooms for like main panels or video gaming or you know a vendor hall uh You'll also probably have to deal with food and beverage minimums, depending on what size your room block is. Uh, food and beverage minimums are exactly what they sound like. They are uh, a minimum amount of dollars that you have to spend on catering in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we do this with, uh, what was it, uh, Hall of Chaos? Yeah, we do this in the Hilton with the Hall of Chaos. Uh, for the bartenders. So like those bartending feeds count as food and beverage. Um, and then all you take all of that into account um, with an expected amount of att the expected attendance amount that you are you want or you plan on having. And you put that towards figuring out what your peak room night situation is going to be at that hotel. Uh, peak room night is, the number of room nights you would have the most of on one on a particular day. Um, so if I were to tell you uh, 400 peak room nights on Friday, um, that would mean that um, for the entire weekend, Friday night we will have the most amount of rooms, 400. The other the other days would probably have less because they are less they are less likely to have people in the city for that night. Um, so there's, so those are the two major types of contracts that you'll ultimately end up dealing with in terms of hotels. Um, ultimately, uh, the, for your major hotels, how, uh, how many people you intend to fill uh, that hotel with will ultimately kind of figure like whether or not you have a food and beverage minimum um, or if you have to pay for meeting space because meeting space isn't necessarily free. Um, you are ultimately paying for it by way of making sure that people are lodging in that hotel. Um, so yeah, those are the, those are the two uh, major types that you ultimately deal with. Okay. Thank you, Josh. That's very informative. Um, I remember you talked before something about uh, minimum booking. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so for your bigger hotels, typically you have a, a, something called an attrition rate. 
which is a percentage of your room block that you guarantee that you are going to fill. Uh, on average, that's usually about 80%. And what that means is we guarantee that you, the hotel, will make a profit off of 80% of the rooms that we have in our block contracted with you. So let's say, for example, uh, an event got a room block with, let's just for, for sake, 100 rooms uh, with an 80% attrition rate. Um, if they were to only book 60 of those rooms, they would be under, they would have missed their attrition and would have to pay out of pocket for those extra 20 rooms because they are guaranteeing that at least 80 rooms are going to be occupied and have been paid for. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It's a way of guaranteeing that the hotel will still make money even because off these rooms that it's set aside. Exactly. Okay, well, very informative on the hotel side. So let's talk about the venue a bit. Um, of course, obviously, for BronyCon, we have our beloved Baltimore Convention Center. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a leaky ship, but it's a great ship all the same. Uh, every convention center has its has its quirks, um, and it seems like what the Baltimore Convention Center's quirk is doomed to be is if it rains a lot, we have to deal with leaks. Ah, uh, yes, I heard about the vendor hall getting a bit of a leak this last year. <laughs> yeah, that seems to it seems to always be the way. It's a uh... It's, you know, you know, it's basically my radio going off and me having to go fix the problem with one or two other people. But, you know, it's a labor of love, right? Exactly. So let's talk about some things that go into venue considerations. How do you pick a venue for a convention in general? Well, so that's that's a really interesting question. Um, a lot of things kind of go into that. Probably some of the probably one of the first ones that people generally consider consider is the location. Uh, it, it really kind of depends on the type of event that you're throwing. If you're like just trying to be like a, if you're trying to be like a, maybe a first time local convention, uh, you, and you'll probably pick uh, something like a hotel nearby, something that is within driving distance or within public transportation distance. Um, something that's just easy to get to, uh, but big enough to uh, have meeting space that can hold kind of all of your trappings of a convention center. So when it, so in that case, you for the smaller ones, you're probably going to going to go hotel. Uh, it's also typically cheaper uh, than going full blown convention center. Uh, if you're a larger event and you kind of like or more like almost expo style, you're, you're, you're going to probably pick some sort of convention center. And then there's a lot of factors that can ultimately come into that. Again, some of it is geolocation where you are ultimately based. Um, a Florida event is probably going to have something in Miami and not necessarily uh, Georgia or Alabama or Georgia or Alabama for random picks out of my butt for that one. Um, 
they are, uh, but even then, you're probably going to pick something still in the same sort of uh, vicinity of questions. You want something that's easy to get to, uh, so something that has a major airport hub, um, something that you can still get to from public transportation or hotel, or sorry, public transportation or by your car. Those are those are the kinds of things that ultimately uh, you factor into. Uh, you also probably end up factoring uh, things like how well you're able to work with the city and the convention uh, and visitors bureau, the CVB. Um, for BronyCon, for example, we have a very uh, we have a very intimate and personal relationship with Visit Baltimore. Um, they did a really great job on selling us the wonderful city. Uh, that they have, and we've just fell in love with it. It's rate, it's attached to BWI, which is a major hub for most airlines. Getting from the airport to the city is fairly simple, either by, say, Uber or Lyft, or if you want to take the light rail, that also works. Uh, in terms of, like, convention centers, you kind of also want to make sure that there's plenty of hotel space. Uh, in the nearby area for attendees to be able to lodge because most people are coming for a long weekend as opposed to just a day trip. Uh, for us, Baltimore also matched that. There are certainly plenty of hotels that we have done business with in the past and continue to do business with now. Um, and that those are the those are the major things that you tend to look for. Uh, whether you're like big or small, you're kind of, it's all about location, ease of access, uh, appropriate amount of space for your event. Um, and then also like being able to have an appropriate amount of lodging. Um, and then I suppose there is also, um, the matter of figuring out the right amount of space within a venue that you are using. And that's a whole that's a whole different, you know, animal. Animal, yeah, that's a whole different animal. Um, that comes down to more what kind of event you want to be. Uh, what types of things do you want? Uh, how much general programming do you plan on having? Um, if you're a fan type convention, um, are you going to have things like? concerts are you going to have things like a video game room or board game room and like other types of activity rooms um, are you looking to do things in the main public areas uh, how important is uh, accessibility in terms of walking around and moving around which for everybody it should be a lot like you should it should be important for you that attendees of all walks of life are able to get around so like even if you are uh for people who walk it's not really a big issue but making sure that uh people who might be in crutches or in wheelchairs have a smooth and easy way of getting around also important um for things like vendor hall uh if you're in a hotel it's probably not that big of a deal you're going to be in uh one or two big panel uh not panel rooms one or two big meeting rooms and there will just be a bunch of like tables and chairs strewn about um if you're in more of a convention style building um 
you might end up on an expo for similar to like what BronyCon or Otacon has, uh, where uh, things like space considerations and walkway space are a lot, you know, are a lot more important and therefore you need a lot more space. Um, so there's lots of things that you need to think about. Um, and even if you're not a, like a fan style event, like let's say for example, maybe you're a, a tech conference and in the tech conference world, uh, it's pretty common to provide food and beverage in the middle of the day for your attendees uh, because they spend upwards of hundreds if not thousands of dollars to come to your event and it's it's a bit of an expectation so the ability for your venue to one provide you food but also be able to provide space for your attendees to get food and then also sit and eat food is important um, so there's there's a lot of things to consider um, not even in the convention world but in the conference world any type of like event planning uh, all that said, Josh, I mean, it sounds like you do quite a lot. Uh, do you enjoy what you do for the convention? I mean, yes. The real question I, I guess I have for you is, do you expect anybody to like, just be like, boy, let me tell you, not one bit. Like, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, do you think, any, do you, do you think anyone's going to have like, like the existential crisis? I, I highly doubt any of the people I may or may not end up interviewing will have it. It would be interesting if they did, but mostly I ask it for unique responses like that. Because while I figure pretty much all of my guests will ha answer yes in some form, it's how they answer that interests me. Uh, so, I mean, the answer is yes. I would not have been here for six years if the answer was no. Uh, I think what's interesting is the thing that I have loved has certainly seemed to evolve over time. So I'm, I've not watched My Little Pony since season four, and then like maybe two or three episodes of season five, um, because they were, I think it was like the hundredth episode that was a big fan service episode. And then uh, the Cutie Mark Crusaders getting their Cutie Marks. So I had to watch those two episodes. But after that, just I really kind of got out of it. But what working this event has taught me is that My Little Pony is not really my true passion. And it's not, it's not my fandom. Um, what I particularly love about doing these types of things is it gets a chance to bring people from all walks of life to a single spot wherever that spot may be and for three days it provides them a space to just geek and nerd out over whatever their particular poison happens to be and they can do it without feeling embarrassed without having to worry about what others might think and being able to do it with like-minded individuals and working this event made me realize that my fandom is fandom i love people who are just so unbridledly passionate about all kinds of things and i just want to like take them and provide them that 
space and ability to just churn out amazing, amazing content and have such an amazing time with others who are also passionate about the same things that they are. So, I mean, yes, I do, I do love what I do. Um, but the, the, the reasons about why I love it have changed. And I feel like my, my purposes in what I do have certainly seemed to shift. And honestly, I think it's definitely for the better. Um, I do miss sometimes the simplicity of just, yeah, man, colorful ponies. They're adorable. That music, spot on. Love it. Love the remixes. But I don't know. I feel like I, uh, I have, I, well, I have, while I have left that particular thing, I have, uh, kind of also grown to enjoy it, grown to, appreciate it on a different level um and to help others appreciate it as well All right. uh, thank you very much for your time josh uh wave goodbye to the ponies one last time and that'll wrap up our first podcast i mean i'm waving but do they really know that they do because you just said you are so that's good enough for me before you all go running off there are a couple things that i need to say First of all is that we want to hear from you. Yes, you, dear listeners. If you happen to have a question that you would like to ask any of this episode's guests, or even if you want to ask me something, shout it out to us on any of our social media platforms using the hashtag StableGeniuses. We'll select a few of the questions to answer, and I will read off the questions and answers at the start of the next episode. Last, but most certainly not least, I bet some of you have noticed that there is a Google Forms link in the description of this podcast. Filling out that form will enter you in a drawing for a free four-day badge for BronyCon 2019. Two weeks after this podcast is first posted, we will do a random drawing from those who have entered. And that is it for our first episode of Stable Geniuses. I hope you've all enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed making this, and I hope to see you all next time.